0: Hey friends, welcome to the Rhythms for Life podcast. I'm Rebecca Lyons.
1: And I'm Gabe Lyons. And Rebecca, I get the privilege right now of holding for the first time in my hands your new book, Rhythms of <laughs> Renewal Trading Stress and Anxiety for a Life of Peace and Purpose. How does it feel? It's <laughs> awesome. It actually does feel awesome in my hands. It's pretty. It is very pretty, but when I open it up for all the guys out there, yes. the cool thing that you did in this design is when you take off that flap jacket, it's actually this somewhat masculine looking book yes, that I can I, have you know what? sitting out or I was
0: thinking about you, Gabe.
1: Yeah, well, and it, all
0: your friends <laughs> and my friends.
1: It worked, but it's an exciting moment as an author when that book shows up and yeah. you finally get to touch it because you've been working on this writing over the last year and a half. Right. But living it for so much longer. How are you feeling about I'm it? I'm
0: feeling good. I love it. It's it is. It's like this tangible expression of a labor of love, as you know. And anyone who has gone through this publishing process, it feels like you you've birthed a baby, a book baby. And so yeah, we are on number 3 of our book babies. <laughs> and so
1: today's episode in the book, you describe four different rhythms that we need to rest, restore Connect, but today we're talking about create,
0: all about create, which is so fun. I really loved this section of this book, The Last Rhythm. It's the culmination, really, as you keep um, starting with rest, restore, you build on, build on, and then create is this vocational health. It's about your passions, your purpose, your talents. It's where your calling begins to emerge, where those talents and those burdens collide. And I tell some funny stories in there where we well, did home movies with the kids when they were little, or I I like to sew.
1: Yeah. Since I've known you, sewing was, I know, I mean, we've got sewing machines, a serger in our house. How many people know what a serger is? The fact
0: that you even said serger and remembered that makes me happy because that's not an everyday household word.
1: So when did you first learn to sew?
0: Well, as far as I can remember, my mom was making us clothes and dresses and blankets and all those things. But my first project was when I was 10. I finally got to take the reins and make my first shirt. Well, let's call it a blouse. (laughs) And it was like blue and pink stripes and scalloped edges, and then it had these heart-shaped buttons on the back. And I was so proud of myself because I thought I won't do sleeves because that'll make it easier, but actually it made it harder. Because if anyone sews, you have to make this piping around the edges that's so tiny and minuscule that I had to rip out the seams a million times. But finally, that's
1: I got, because you're a perfectionist. Yeah,
0: that's true. But you know, once you're in it, you, it's really hard to mess up. And then, like, one shoulder is like hanging off one side of your arm and the other one's too short. So I did finally finish it. My mom was very patient with me and helpful. And then I got to wear it to sleep away camp. And sleep it was like the camp. first, you know, when you go to camp and you take a picture of yourself and like in front of the camp sign with your best friend, my friend Heather and I, I'm wearing that shirt. Yeah.
1: Well, I have a sewing story Hmm. that I don't know if you know. I was 11 years old trying to give my mom a Christmas gift and I had no money, but we had a bunch of fabric laying around. So I went, got a big needle, figured out how to thread it. And I sewed probably the ugliest pillow you've (laughs) ever seen and stuffed it with like things that were kind of coarse. It wasn't like a down pillow. This was like something
0: you would lay your head on. This
1: was like something you'd want (laughs) to hit somebody with if you were in a pillow fight but anyway it had like an orange duck on the front i mean it's awful and i bet she still has it
0: she does because your mom is like that she will keep everything you make from her especially
1: especially. no you're
0: famous for doing things that you don't really know how to do though
1: yeah the first time rhythm I've got lots of stories, but we'll save those yeah, for another No, just time.
0: one. Just one.
1: Well, when I was in high school, my buddy Jason and I, we created a business. And, and I always make the mistake of just starting something without actually practicing it. <laughs> so this was a business we called The Seal That's a Deal. Yeah. And we actually sealed driveways with black tar.
0: And you had never done it before. Never so done you're it before. So you trying to
1: create. I'm trying to create.
0: But you have no idea what no you're doing. No planning.
1: We show up and and this older lady, bless her heart, says, yes, my driveway needs done. We're like, okay, $75, we'll do it. Well, we had paint rollers and paintbrushes in tar. And we started to do that to the driveway. And it looked awful. And the lady said, I'm not going to pay you for this.
0: As she should. And
1: we said, we'll fix it. And so sure enough, we went out there and hand painted with a paintbrush Mm -hmm. her entire driveway. It ended up looking good. She gave us a little bit of money. but What was the
0: lesson learned there, The lesson
1: was actually (laughs) (laughs) prepare, plan, be a little educated before you jump into creating.
0: It'd be like me making a shirt when I was four on the sewing machine. That's right. And expecting it to work out.
1: Okay. Now why we're talking about sewing a little bit is because today our interview is with two people who started a fashion company that's just blown up. It's amazing. But when we thought about who could we talk to and really understand the power of creating, these two came to mind.
0: Right. So Barrett Ward is the founder of ABLE. And It's an ethical fashion brand that challenges the culture of the fashion industry by creating transformative opportunities for women. Fair wages. It helps women who have walked out of hard things, have sustainable jobs. There's artisans here in Nashville and around the world. And then Marissa Pardo is the marketing brand director. So they work together from the very beginning. And then there's obviously a lot more people on the team. I think
1: what we didn't know was how much this vision to create a company as an entrepreneur, how much pressure that put on Barrett. Right. And so the conversation just gets pretty deep, pretty quick on the pain I think a lot of people feel when they go out to create something good for the world, and it is great for the world, but it starts to have a negative effect on their life.
0: And that's part of the role with people who are running hard and fast and create rhythm. When you have one rhythm that's highly dominant it means those other three are probably suffering on some level which leads to exhaustion and burnout and so that's what we that's what we heard in this conversation
1: so we're going to talk about medication talk about the role that played in his story and helping him get healthy again we're going to discuss rhythms of play it's going to be a fun conversation but also quite deep and serious so let's listen in now to barrett and marissa talking about how we create Barrett, you've led a successful company, but it hasn't been without the stress that comes with trying to grow something and start something as an entrepreneur. And you went through a pretty serious challenge a few years ago where that stress really started to eat at you. Will you tell us a little bit more about what that was like? Yeah, it was 2014. It was a total surprise. We had
2: actually, we were a nonprofit up until that point. And our lawyers told us that we had too much UBIT or unrelated business income tax, so we had to convert to a for-profit in 2014. I thought I was going to be a non guy for the rest of my life. So that was just a massive switch for me, and I had no idea the pressures of, a, of entrepreneurism, at least that I wasn't geared for. I wasn't naturally geared to handle, I don't think. So I heard a quote that year in the midst of 2014 stress that said, that people look at entrepreneurs and think to themselves, wow, look how brave they are riding that lion. And entrepreneurs are thinking, how did I get on this lion? And how do I stop it from killing me? Right, right. right. And that was, that was all of 2014 for me. I mean, specifically, uh, it looked something like fetal position, I can show you, mm. uh, on a bathroom floor. Mm. Honestly, almost pretty much every day. Wow. wow. Uh, And if you want to get really visual, a warm bath. I used to take warm baths when I was losing my
1: mind. Well, listen, this is real. I mean, this is is what it's like to go through the stress and the pressure. And people are looking to you as a leader. And the only place you can hide away is your bathroom floor. (laughs) Yeah,
2: that's about right. And I
1: think a lot of people... Can relate to that because no matter what they're trying to lead, yeah, yeah, you have these moments where you're like, I'm not up for this. Yeah.
0: How would you describe that season? Full of anxiety? Did it turn into panic attacks? Oh yeah. Were you trying to kind of run? Did your team see it? How did that play out at work?
2: So there was just a few of us. Okay. Uh, I do remember one time uh, Marissa is with us today, who I've worked with for over 12 years now, and I remember one time. I mean, first of all, yes, panic attacks all the time. Mm. that's what the bathroom floor was. Sure. I mean, and Did even, you know children, what that was
0: at the time? Did you have language for it?
2: I didn't. I just right. thought I couldn't handle it. I, I just thought the language was, I'm not good enough for this. Mm. Clearly, I'm not suited for this. I tried to convince my counselor that I should be a, a real estate salesman. <laughs> and he was like, and I really sold him on it. Yeah. But as God would have it, as I eventually got through all that, I realized that just wasn't true. But I was pitching a story that I, this is not for me. I pitched my wife on it a lot. And she, in such an encouraging way, was like, I believe in you. You can do this. And so if she didn't say that, I probably would have been out.
0: Marissa, what was your perspective yeah, that's what I was about to say. looking so. in at the
3: time? Yeah, because prior to that, we had worked together, gosh, Six years before, um, and this was the first time I'd really ever seen him in that place. So I knew, and I had actually just stepped away the year before, focusing more on the nonprofit, and had just come back to the business as it became a a for profit. But I don't know, honestly, probably a little scared for you. You know, I think I'd never seen the vulnerability from him in that. Um, But at the same time really honored that he would invite us into that story. And he wasn't trying to pretend that he had it all together and really asked us to step up. (laughs) I I think, you know, the team was only a a few other people and he really asked us to kind of carry the burden for a little bit while he figured it out. Yeah. So Barrett, walk us through what you did, how long that lasted,
0: when did you start to come out of it and why?
2: So number one, I had a mentor. That was a game changer for me. If I didn't have someone that I could just talk to and say, is this normal or not? Mm -hmm. Um, And be regulated at some level for that, that that would have been really hard for me just... And what I mean is not only a mentor emotionally, but also specifically what I was doing in business. So I would always recommend that. About the middle of that year, I started going into counseling. And as we were trying to re-engineer my mind... We really never got to a place where all that logic in the head was trickling down to my heart. I still wasn't able to manage it. Hmm. And it took me about a year to finally not feel like it was a terrible giving up idea to take Lexapro or an anti-anxiety med. Mm -hmm. And for me, when I took it, within two weeks, I felt like myself again. Hmm. It was... and, And I guess it's just the raising of your serotonin, but the reality for me was... Is when we talk about rhythms and creativity and things like that. I hadn't felt, I I realized after I took the Lexapro that I had not felt creative for the entire year. And then all of a sudden, my mind started opening up as the stress went away a little bit or was managed through the medication. And I started feeling like myself again. And I think that's one of the things that one of my friends told me when I took it. He said, It's not going to numb you, it'll just make you feel like yourself again. And that was true. Mm. And so when I started taking it, I didn't know if I would need to take it forever or not, but the objective for me was to use that for about a two-year period is what it ended up being. But I wanted to use it as kind of a crutch. I felt like I literally had a broken bone, Mm -hmm. and I literally needed to let it heal. And while I was letting it heal, I wanted to reform the way I thought about stress I wanted to reform whatever the presuppositions and conclusions that I was reaching that led me to a place that felt like I was going to die or that I would rather be dead right. than have to deal with running this business.
0: Right.
2: That was genuinely how I felt. And so I spent those two years really working through those emotions and retrained my mind. And honestly, it worked. After about two years, I said, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to try to come off. And I am and I was like, it's okay if I need to go back on. But I came off very successfully. And since then, I've had my times where I've thought, maybe I'll do this again, but I've been able to work through it.
1: Well, thank you for sharing. I mean, just such a personal story letting us in on that because because I think a lot of people are going through the same thing. They're trying to figure out how to cope with it. Medication obviously has different perspectives on whether that's good, bad. Is it cutting off your emotions or empathy, right. numbing you out. As you said, your friend was like, no, it's not going to do that. And and I think, though, the success of you going, look, I used it as a crutch. I was able to get through and, and kind of get back to who I was and mm. get, get rhythms probably in place that totally. have helped you start to live into a life where you said, you know what, I'm not going to need the crutch anymore. I'm, I'm doing okay. Marissa, I know for your work, you guys are leading an incredible fashion company called Able and Huge know.
0: fans. I'm wearing it head to toe right now. I just yeah. wish
1: I wish you made men's clothes. I, I hope some one gender day, neutral, you know, it's gender besties. neutral. Okay, gender neutral. <laughs> like, what is that? Like it's a you, bro. T-shirt? You are gender a neutral. Are very... No, I'm I'm pretty clear on what my yeah. sex yeah. is. Crop As we um, talk, sure. right now. <laughs> you could
0: wear my shirt and it come up to like a, your. You know, your
1: yeah, crop shirt for Gabe. That would be amazing. But as you guys are in this space, I mean, you're in a very creative space. You lead a team of people who are designing and creating. And that's one of the rhythms Rebecca and I talk a lot about is the need to create and what that does. But something that was so cool early on that I remember seeing you guys do is is how you will work with women. And I want you to share that story a little bit more, that what goes into this process for you guys as you create, it's not just your own designers, but you've brought other people into that process. Talk a little bit about why. And also how the value of them being able to create Mm. has brought dignity and brought life and rhythm even into people in difficult circumstances.
3: Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the word dignity, and I think that was really the heart of why we started this business um, was to give women opportunity who didn't have it before and to see – the shift in someone's mind and heart when they're given the ability to create something and the pride that comes along with that. Um, At the very beginning, every scarf came with a tag that said, because of your purchase, I am able to fill in the blank. And a lot of those were around that theme of have pride in my work, have dignity, send my kid to school. To be able to see that, the tangible piece of that was so amazing and really fueled what we were doing in the beginning. And it just grew from there. And every product um, is sourced from... A material and a trade that is indigenous to that area. So Ethiopia, where we started, scarves was an age-old tradition there, leather as well. We actually launched a jewelry business here locally employing women in Nashville who come out of hard circumstances. We work with a couple of local recovery centers who have um, housed women coming through addiction and homelessness, and then we're able to tag on to that process and offer a job for them. And again, same story— um, seeing the pride and um, just the self-esteem and worth that comes from having a job that you can feel proud of and create something is really. I
0: love walking back there
3: to mm-hmm. just watching them work and meeting so many
0: of the women there locally here because I you know you're in Nashville. so yeah. that gives me a great excuse to come visit. and just seeing how excellent. They are at their craft Mm -hmm. and how much pride is coming from working with their hands. One of the chapters in in the book is work with your hands in the create section because just that craftsmanship, that like kind of getting into it, right? It's not just an idea. You're not just talking about something. They're doing it. Mm -hmm. And you see like lights are turning on and like I can make things Mm -hmm. that are beautiful, that people want to wear, that people pay money for. So what are some of the fun, like, just stories? Like, you have so many stories because a lot of your products are named after the woman that Mm -hmm. inspired that product. Maybe just give me one or two
3: just that come to mind. Yeah, the first thing that comes to mind is a girl named Chelsea in our jewelry department. She came to us. Her story that she shared publicly, so I don't feel bad (laughs) sharing this about her, um, is she actually entered the recovery program and found out a week later that she was pregnant and had to quickly... Detox from all of her addictions and then went through that recovery program. We found her, brought her in. She had never made jewelry before. And then within a year, she had learned so many of the skills and came to our fashion director and said, I designed these few pieces. uh, What do you think? And ended up launching that collection for our holidays in her honor. And just, again, to see the pride that she had that when she talks about that is just so sweet. And to see somebody who came from no skills, no prior experience, and then to get to that place. And she's grown so much. She's since gotten married, and um, you've been able to see so many amazing things happen in her life. I Um, have her necklace, and I love it. It's one of my
0: favorites from you guys.
1: Yeah, and I think the idea— that you guys have pursued of giving people responsibility. Rebecca writes about this, too, the idea of taking responsibility. How much that improves your mental health? We'd tell the story of our daughter, you know, buying seven chickens that she took care of as she had a dozen to start with and then auctioned off five of them
0: at the county fair with four h. like she was owning it,
1: but as a thirteen year old, that was important. It's important for our kids. And in society today, a lot yeah. of times children, aren't growing up where responsibility is required of them. And there can be a sense of unanchoredness, meaninglessness, purposelessness, because they don't have anything to take responsibility for. And I hear you telling stories of giving people responsibility, letting them create with their hands. It's a beautiful example, but I bet you saw mental health improve, Mm -hmm. emotional health. Is that part of the story?
3: For sure. And again, that jewelry team is really special. They have taken the time to really pour into one another. They all get where they've been. And there's a camaraderie there that is super unique. And you can just see that they feel understood and seen. And they take time to get to know the person. And especially when you're doing something like making jewelry, you know, it's a side-by-side kind of activity. So they can talk and interact and stuff as well. And it's, it's a really special place.
2: Yeah, to your point too, Rebecca, about having the right tools, people that have come through recovery they are taught those tools, whether mm-hmm. it's 12-step or whatever places of vulnerability, name your problem, don't be ashamed of it. Like, they have determined the culture for the entire company. It's not a matter of us being a benefit to them. Mm-hmm. It's really – I I I started working with people in jewelry, just a couple of women, because we just wanted to be around the people that we were trying to be a benefit to. In Ethiopia, where we started was so far away. It's grown to, I think, 28 women now making wow. jewelry. and again i really believe that they determine the culture of our company based on For sure. on how they right. perceive their work that and that's part that of their out. rhythm
0: their creative rhythm that they and true community is defined by working alongside each mm-hmm. other it's not just like going to coffee and talking about your life it's let's do something with a shared goal and a shared vision and so now you have 28 women doing that who are coming out of something that I can't imagine the camaraderie that that like like you said seeps into the whole culture in the DNA of your company. So, Barrett, I want to get back to walking off of medication because a lot of people have this, a lot of people that I've talked to over the last several years are saying, I, I want to get off. I'm a little afraid. I'm not sure where to begin. My father was on medication on and off for Decades, And so I've walked this and watched this, and I know it's very nuanced. But as you got off, you had to establish rhythms. And that's what this podcast is about. Like people are asking for just practical, tangible, like, hey, just give me examples. It's not prescriptive. It's just like, here's some suggestions of ways that worked for me. So what are some off the top of your head just a couple things you're like when I started doing this I felt stronger and more capable to go ahead and say I'm gonna wean off of whatever medication I might be on
2: you know and, and I love specific examples because general examples kind of fall flat but specific examples at least a few people are gonna
1: sure. identify so sure. I've
2: got very a very specific example for me is it became really critical to put down my phone my technology. Mm-hmm. And that is something I've stuck with to this day. So, for example, even this morning, I'm always doing a little bit of work before the kids get up. But I there's a lot that happens in me that as soon as I see them, I shut it down, put it away, and celebrate. Yeah, they're walking into the room. Good
0: morning is a big deal. Good morning. yeah.
2: And even taking the the fifteen less seconds that I would finish that email with, sure, and saying this is a priority to me. Uh, It does so much for my spirit and I think my psychology as well. So that's a big one.
0: And for them, that eye contact, that embrace, that connection immediately when they wake up. Dad's paying attention to me.
2: I think really, I'm so hyperbolic in my mind, and I think that's what happened in my time of anxiety and depression. But I think what I really have to say to myself is, at this extreme level, is if I don't finish this email right now, nobody's going to die. Right, you know, and and everything will be okay. I even when I lived in Ethiopia, I had a friend that said to me, uh, you know, my wife really wants me home by six o'clock. He was the leader of a huge nonprofit, and he said, but I try to tell her if I stay till eight, there's so many lives that change and are saved and things like that. And I said to him, I, I'm with you, dude. You need to stay till midnight. <laughs> You need to stay till midnight. He's like, now, come on, Barrett. And I'm like, well, seriously, people are dying if you don't. And that kind of thinking just goes nowhere. And right. the reality is, is we only have so many hours in a day. We do have to prioritize. And and who's to say that you being more healthy and a better family man doesn't lead to you running your nonprofit that much That's better, That's right. right. I
1: mean, I think it's a lie to suggest. and And this happens a lot of times with hard charging career oriented people is that I'm in a season. You you'll hear that a lot between spouses. It's like yeah. I'm just in a season of a lot of travel. I'm in a season of I need to stay till 8. I need to do a bunch of dinners like a season and it really when you look back at their life 2 3 years later, they're still in that season. Oh, yeah. Even if they switch to a new company. You know, it's it's something getting filled by that that's not truly helping them become more of who they are. It's more just replacing what they should be doing. So I admire That simple idea, put the tech down, connect, look people in the eye, love on them.
2: Yeah. You know, I even remember when I went from, in my 20s, I went from a for-profit. I was probably working 70 to 80 hours a week. And I went to the nonprofit world and I was making about (laughs) $32,000, which was a big shift for me. And it was a challenge. But I thought to myself, oh, now I can relax at least. There's not all this pressure. And about six months later, I was working 70 to 80 hours a week. Right. And and it's just to your point, your habits are far more powerful than...
0: Right. Wherever you go, there you are. Yeah. (laughs) We always think, I know I have fallen into this many times. If we move here or go here or live here, everything will change. And then six months later, I'm like, nope, you're still there. And (laughs) those habits and that chronic whatever it is, that compulsion is still there. And so whether that compulsion is work, whether it's escape that tends to follow you wherever you go. So that proactive step is the requirement to establish a new rhythm because that is the only way you can overcome the natural default of the compulsion that wants to stay. So tech, putting it down, is a great example.
2: And and to the point that you're making on that, the putting down for tech for me personally is a huge statement of I'm going to be present wherever I'm at. Oh, so if good. that's somebody walking into my office – or if it's a lunch date, putting it on sleep, it just allows me to deal with this overall problem that I'm worrying about a future that I can't control. Right. So instead I'm forming internal habits to say, I will be in the moment. Right. And that strengthens me.
0: Marissa, you're a working mom now with two littles. Yes. And I know you you took Maternity leave <laughs> and you really <laughs> owned it. And I wonder for you, just coming back in now, it would take proactive rhythms for you as well because mm-hmm. you're still working hours in the office, you're coming home, connecting
3: with your children.
0: What does that look like? How how has that evolved, you know, now with two?
3: Yeah. Well, I am definitely a person of routine. I'm very type A and like things to happen in orderly fashions. And I really believe that the routine helps mitigate some of the chaos for me or embrace some of the chaos that is going to be there regardless with two little kids and working. So we try to set up a lot of things so that we can tell that, you know, have kind of expectations and really expect that certain things are going to happen at the same time every day. So sure. we're going to have breakfast together as a family every morning. We're going to do X, Y, Z. And and those help keep me sane, I think, knowing that the workday probably is going to be a little crazy and unpredictable, but at least I can have these certain things in place within our family that I can predict are going to happen on a regular basis and yeah. cadence, if that makes sense. Yeah.
1: One of my friends told me, you, know, you limit stress by limiting the number of decisions you have to make mm-hmm. on a daily basis. So the goal is – what is the system, you know, at your home and with yeah. your children and routines? And the more you can make that decision once and let it happen multiple times, it's going to remove stress. Barrett, the contrast from five years ago—you laying, you know, in the fetal position on the bathroom floor—till today, you're wearing a swimsuit right now <laughs> because you're about to go to the lake when we're done with this conversation. Yeah, uh, but it is kind of midweek afternoon and. You've got plans to go be on a boat. So something's changed. Talk about the kinds of things you do to have fun, like maybe going out on a boat. But what's the play side of your life now? And, and has that been something you've tried to kind of re engineer as you've come out of that season?
2: None of that's true. I'm not wearing. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, the, the thing that I talked about with the technology was a very specific example in that space. But I would also say, and this one I feel like has to be true for everybody I have to get into nature. Yes. But let's be clear. I wasn't nature boy growing up. We never did anything like that. I never camped. I believe in air conditioning. It's just not <laughs> my ramp. it's it's not something that was initially built into my spirit needing it, right? But as I grew older, I really wanted our family to have something that we did and it ended up being more for me than anybody else probably because getting out on the lake, there's no there's nothing out there but trees and water allows me to feel that sense of creativity. Mm -hmm. And being at the office uh, is awesome. We get a lot done at the office. But for me to get away and have time in nature where there's nothing else happening, Mm -hmm. I just start to feel that. Because I'm an introvert, so I literally feel the gas tank filling up. And all of a sudden, when it goes ding, 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 I I can literally feel myself ready to have a really creative conversation. And she knows that. When we... Marissa can always create. She can – I mean, I feel like you're always able to turn that on. But there are times where she'll come to me and go, can you help think through something? And I've, I have got nothing. You know, it's like, <laughs> that's not happening right now. See you after the boat.
0: Being outside is just fuel for my body. And that's why rest is the most natural rhythm for me because y- you just have to get outside – I feel like just God's creation does the rest for you. You kind of like just can, you can receive. And so I love seasons. I love sunrise, sunset. I love the golden hour. I love the ocean. I love woods, like whatever, because it does feel like a filling up. And then from that overflow, you can go back out. So I love that that's your your thing.
1: And there's also a lot of neuroscience and research now showing how important green spaces are. And they're even in urban planning, trying to build green space. Closer to your, like the closer a green space is to your home, the healthier you are physically, your mental health's better. So, everything you're saying, I think it lines up with just how God's designed the world. Like, Mm. we weren't necessarily meant to be inside conditioned air spaces and never touch the ground. You know, I think it was C.S. Lewis who would come home from work and take off his shoes and walk in the grass so that he could actually just feel the earth because shoes maybe weren't a thing from the very beginning. Mm. And and so I just think remembering some of that's important. And the idea of play that you're going to do this afternoon, like as we get older, it, you're not allowed to play as much, right? It's looked like, oh, you're a slacker. You're going to play. Right. Or like when I go yes. play golf, like, <laughs> oh, Gabe's not working today. He's playing golf. Must be nice. It's like, no, I have to do these things. Or I don't have anything to bring to the rest of my life.
0: I'm so grateful you guys are here. And I love just the mission of ABLE. I love what you're doing. I love that nature is fostering more creativity around this whole organization. And just... One last thing about Able, one thing you guys do that I admire so much, you've, you've worked really hard to do this out of just conviction in the fashion industry, is just showing the wages. Can you talk about that for a couple minutes, about why that came about and what you've seen, how you've seen that make a dent in the industry?
2: You know, it, 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 it's not forced for me to say that that comes out of creativity. It's not staying on point with this podcast. The reality is I did not have in that 2014, even 15 period, the emotional capacity to really to create something and to see see a real need in front of me. But as I came out of that, one of the things I started learning about was just how rough the fashion industry can be. Now, we knew child labor way back when in 1996 was a issue that Nike got busted for, and then they addressed because of consumer demand. But what we didn't know, and I didn't know until we started getting into the fashion space, is that as few as 2% of the women that make clothes around the world, and 75% of those clothes are made by women, earn a living wage, which basically means that 98% of them cannot make ends meet. Wow. So that was, for us, a real conviction place. The other thing that happened at that point that I realized was, as we were growing, I didn't really know if we were having the impact that we were saying we were having. I had somebody after a speech say, you guys are doing such amazing stuff. And I just remember thinking, man, if I stood in front of St. Peter right now, he might say, you're selling a ton of bags, but why have you not invested in making sure that the women in your supply chain and your manufacturing are protected? Wow. And so we formed this audit to really dig into the safety and equality and wages and benefits. And the hero metric for us eventually became... That if someone is paid a living wage, a wage that covers all their needs, even to saving and education of their children, then then that might be how we not only change the industry but change all of manufacturing. If we can get consumers behind a tag on our products that say this is how much this person is paid, wow. and if they start demanding that of other brands, right? Can you imagine the the just a simple logical perspective? Just like consumers demanded that child labor stop, if they started demanding and say to brands, why don't you publish your wages? Let us know your lowest wages, not an average wage, not the labor costs in a garment, but what is the lowest person you're manufacturing get paid, then we will be able to protect the most vulnerable. Wow. So that's our dream. In 10 years, that there'll be a nutritional label for, for fashion.
1: Man, I love it. And I think this is the point. When you get healthy, when you found a way, you use... Lexapro. You then came off of that into your rhythms. You're still pursuing this life of health, but your creativity came back. You're creating something that literally could reshape an industry, reshape the imagination for people who are consuming products to think differently about it. It's huge. I'm
2: totally with you. And I think the genesis of that moment is not about doing something big. It's about doing something that's right in front of you, addressing what you see loving your neighbor right yeah. and really when great things happen at able or we grow we've gone from four employees to 90 in the last 4 years that's cool it's like a high five moment but the moments that fill me that give me those moments of creativity is when someone by the water cooler says look i just got my first pair of glasses I, since i was in jail for heroin i was never able to afford a pair of glasses, now I have a job. It's those moments where you feel something different in your soul, right? So I think the real goal is not to think of the big thing that you accomplish, but what's right in front of you that you can address in your life. And if it is just simply putting down my phone so I can love my children, that is the thing that helps me be present.
0: I loved this conversation, the insight of what it looks like to walk through something hard and then start these practices, these rhythms of health, uh, to see Barrett where he is now, ready to jump in the lake, just an ease about him looking back on the man who was in the fetal position on the bathroom floor. That's what, that's what this looks like. It's that healing journey.
1: You know what I loved about what Barrett described, which is so true of you, is getting out in green space and nature, that when we do that, there's something about that that just fills us up. Mm-hmm. And I think it's tr- that's true for all of us, I think. It is. like We were designed to enjoy God's creation it a is. little more than our natural life tends to lend to it.
0: That's right. I even mentioned in the book that studies show that just five minutes of being outside, any outdoor activity like hiking or jogging or walking can change your mood and your self-esteem.
1: And these rhythms are so important. This is why Rebecca and I are doing this podcast, because we want to have more places where we're honestly dealing with the pain we're going through. But seeing how people are walking through it with success, that's what Rebecca's book, Rhythms of Renewal, does. It, it actually helps you map out how to get these rhythms going in your life in a daily way, a weekly way, in a way that's going to help you come at life from the healthiest place we hope that not only is this conversation helpful to you, but Rebecca's book, Rhythms of Renewal, will be a guide and something that helps you as you walk this out. Remember, it releases in just one week. And when you pre order, Rebecca, tell them what they get.
0: So, you'll get, first of all, 20% off anything at Able, which I wanted to do because I love their stuff so much. They have leather bags, they have shoes, they have denim, they have jewelry phenomenal, great quality. And again, it's giving these women a fair wage. It's giving them jobs that are sustainable to support their families. And so it's just, it's the best because it's beautiful and it's for a good cause. And you'll get 20% off anything site-wide all the way from now till Black Friday. And it also includes anything on sale, which most people don't do that. They're like, it doesn't count if it's a sale, but this does. So if it's on sale, you get another 20 off that. So if you pre-order this week, please, please, please take advantage of it. You won't regret it.
1: And if you're a guy, you can order some good Christmas gifts for your wife, like I know I'll be doing. So make that list, Rebecca. I need to know how to (laughs) take advantage of that. Also, Rebecca and I are excited about our partnership with Our Tribe, because if you're in that darkest place and you really need to talk to somebody, we have been able to partner with them so that you can have a conversation confidentially, securely with a certified coach who can better understand the rhythm you're great at, but help you with the other ones that you're not. They're offering a free 30-minute session, and it's simple to get. Here's what you need to do. Write this down. You need to text the letters RFL and the numbers 2019 to the number five 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 eight eight eight. So text RFL2019 to the number 555-888, and that will help you get going into that journey of having a conversation with a real person who can help you as you sort through the areas in which you're feeling the stress and you're feeling the anxiety.
0: Special thanks to Ryan O'Neill with Sleeping at Last for providing the music for season one.